And so John chapter 3, starting with verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? How can these things be? That's the title of this teaching, if you want to write that down. How can these things be? We have this thing in Christianity that we refer to as Christianese. You know what I'm talking about? When we use those Christian words to describe something, uh, to get a point across. Uh, Christian terminology. Conversion. Regeneration. Salvation. Redemption, rebirth, born anew, born again. It's terminology that we use. And a lot of times we're taught, we're coached, we're encouraged to not use words like that because it, maybe it separates those that don't have a relationship with the Lord that aren't familiar with God's Word. Those terms could be confusing. But those are terms that are used in God's Word. The confusing part is when we don't explain it or we don't explain it well. So never be shy to use words like that, especially when it comes to the word we're going to look at tonight, born again. Use those and explain them well. We're going to take a look at that tonight and see exactly what that means. But born again, it's when man and God meet on God's terms. Man and God meet on God's terms, not on man's terms. And it always requires something. It requires change. When we meet God on His terms, it's going to require change in us. God doesn't need to change. He's holy and righteous. Never does anything wrong. Not so with us. We mess up fairly regular. So we mess up. But it's change. God wants to change us. He wants us to be continually in a state of change being formed into the image of Christ so verse 1 says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews now as we looked at chapter 2 last week it ended with a saying that said Jesus knew what was in man and now chapter 3 starts with there was a man so you know that chapter and verse was never in the original writing uh, of the Bible. That was added later. So that would have been a continuous theme. For Jesus knew what was in man. By the way, there was a man, or there is a man. 
of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So this man, Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the Jews. He's one who would have been surprised and curious by Jesus, what we looked at last week, the cleaning of the temple. But there's something different about this man, Nicodemus. He's not written of in the other three Gospels, but he is mentioned in John. Not just here, but in two other places. Turn real quickly, if you would, to John chapter 7, just a few pages over to the right. John chapter 7, at start at verse 40. Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. If you look at the verses previous to that, 37 through 39, Jesus is saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. They were fascinated by Jesus' teaching. They were drawn in by what he had to say, but there was division about what he was saying. So verse 44, Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, these officers obviously sent by the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said to them, why have you not brought him? They sent these guys to get Jesus and bring him back. And the officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. I think that that's a wonderful statement, humorous as well, because they were wanting to bring him back because they wanted to question him. And these guys gave witness and testimony of Jesus Christ right then. No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. These verses give us such insight into <laughs> the heart of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, towards Jesus. They were threatened by him without a doubt. Their religious uh, positions were threatened by what he had to say. They didn't like him at all. Verse 49, but this, uh, or 50, Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them. So we're, here we have Nicodemus, who we're looking at tonight, who had come to Jesus by night. Now he's with all the uh, religious leaders at this time. They're having this conversation. And Nicodemus says in verse 51, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? And they answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own house. So they just got their facts messed up here about where Jesus came from. They knew he was from Nazareth, that that's where he grew up, but they didn't know that he was born in Bethlehem. So they're just confused about the facts. Nicodemus is, is uh, representing Jesus here, representing him well. Hey, guys, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? So something has taken place between chapter 3 and chapter 7. 
Jesus meets with Nicodemus at night, and so something happens there. Let's take a look and see what we can get from that. Uh, but before we go there, look at John chapter 19 real quick. John chapter 19. This is the other time that Nicodemus is mentioned. And it gives us some real insight on the relationship between Nicodemus and Jesus. John chapter 19, verse 38. It says, after this, this is after Jesus' crucifixion, after this, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. And they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. So we see these three spots throughout the Gospel of John where Nicodemus is on the scene. And we see this relationship that developed over time for Nicodemus to be a part of the burial of Jesus. So, back to John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Why at night? Well, one suggestion is, is that he didn't want to be seen by his peers. He had this fear of being ridiculed by his peers. Jesus wasn't, as we saw in the text in John chapter 7, he wasn't highly thought of at this point at all by the religious leaders. And so Nicodemus could have come to him at night in order to not be seen by his peers. Uh, another is that he wanted to speak with Jesus without interruption. And we don't know for sure the reason, but really I lean more towards that second one. I think Nicodemus wanted to spend some one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus. I think he wanted to, to question him, sure, but he wanted to learn from him, find out things about him and, and uh, the things that he was teaching and the other things that would have impressed him, these signs that he had been doing. So Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee. We see those two groups. They're mentioned throughout the Gospels, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're different. They're of the same group. They are the religious leaders of Israel, but they're different. Take a look at what is recorded when Paul was before the council of both the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Acts 23, 68. It'll be on the monitor for you. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and no angel or no spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. So in these verses we see a difference of beliefs of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection or angels or spirits, which is sad, you see. <laughs> the Pharisees did believe in these, which is fair, you see. I know, you know, when I was doing my notes, I thought, that is the hokiest thing. I've heard that I don't know how many times. I just couldn't resist. It's just... 
hokey works for me, I guess. However, both of them together represented the two major parties of the Jewish Supreme Court. Now, the main difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, get this, is that the Pharisees believed that the oral law, which is called the Talmud, or the written commentary on the Torah. Okay, so we have commentaries today on the Bible, right? So you get uh, Warren Worsby or somebody like that. He's writing a commentary on the Bible. So that's basically what the Talmud is. It's the written commentary on the Torah. And so they believed that both were accurate and to be followed, both what they had written as commentary and the Torah itself. Now the Sadducees believed that only the written law, only the Torah should be followed and that it was not even open to interpretation. It was to be followed uh, to the letter. So the difference there, do you understand that? You had this one group that, and you know that that's where all the other laws came from, all those Sabbath laws and things that we read as we go through the Gospels that just seemed like, well, somebody just made that up. They kind of did. They kind of wrote their own commentary on these are the things that you needed to do. So they believed, the Pharisees, that you needed to keep both, where the Sadducees were just the Torah, the written law. So Nicodemus was a Pharisee, but he was so impressed with Jesus and what he said and did that he comes to him at night. And this was to be a visit which was on a very personal level, to talk with Jesus personally, individually. Nick was not on official temple business here. This was, this was outside of temple business. This was a one-on-one -on -one that he was having with Jesus. So it says in verse 2, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus acknowledges Jesus as rabbi or teacher. It's a term of respect, a term of recognition. So between the cleaning of the temple and up to this time, Jesus had been doing what? We know from our text last week, he had been performing signs and obviously teaching. He was always teaching. And Nicodemus was no doubt impressed with the signs that he was doing and what he was teaching. Verse 2 tells us that. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. The two things mentioned in this verse, rabbi, which means teacher, and referencing the signs that Jesus did. So impressed with Jesus was Nicodemus that he also recognized, what's the last phrase in that verse? God is with him. He didn't understand that Jesus was God, but he recognized that God was with him. So in verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus answered and said to him. He answered what? What, what was the question <laughs> in this verse? There's no question there. Nicodemus didn't ask the question. He, he made a statement, but it says Jesus answered and said to him. In this text, where's the question? But Jesus gives an answer when no question is asked. Why? Look back up to John uh, chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. What we mentioned before. He knew all men. He knew what was in man. He knows all men. 
Jesus is God. He knows what's in the heart and mind of all men and women. He knows. He knows before we even think it. He just knows. So we see this work itself out repeatedly throughout the book of John, even with his disciples. It's happening again and again. Jesus is perceiving and knowing what someone is thinking, what someone is feeling, and he gives a necessary answer. You can be assured that he knows us and what we're thinking and feeling. He's got an answer for us. And his answer is always the very thing that we need to hear. We can trust in that. Jesus is God. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what's on our heart. He has an answer for us. And it is the very thing that we need to hear. So he starts off, he says, most assuredly. Now this is an introduction phrase. Jesus uses it time and time again in the book of John. And it literally means, I say this with certainty. You can completely trust this. You see in other translations, truly, truly, I say to you, or verily, verily, I say to you. I think that's King James. Verily, verily. It just kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? We don't really use language like that today, but it means the same thing. If you were to come up and ask me something after the service, and I'd say, verily, verily, I say unto you. You know, it would be a little weird. It would be a little odd, right? I would probably not even say most assuredly. I'd probably say something like, well, I don't know, I think, uh, uh, you know. But when Jesus says it, you can completely trust it. What he's saying, most assuredly, what I am about to say is straight up in your face truth. It's the truth. Jesus is truth. He's saying, listen up, Nick, for I say to you, unless one is born again, unless one is born anew, unless one is born from heaven, unless one experiences new birth. So Jesus replied to Nicodemus, we're going to see shatters the Jewish assumption that their racial identity, their old birth or being a Jew, assured them a place in God's kingdom. So their lineage, their family tree, God's chosen people of Israel, they were of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Nicodemus and the Jews of that day believed they were of the family of God because of that. It's the equivalent of any of us saying, well, my dad and my mom, well, they were Christians, therefore, I'm a Christian. No, that doesn't mean that. You were born into a family that believes in God. You're not born again until you believe in God. Just because your family does, doesn't give you a free ticket into heaven. You yourself have to be born again and believe in God. Your individual family lineage, your family heritage, family association. It doesn't save you. We know that, right? Only being born again into God saves you. You were born as a child of your family, but you must be born again to be in God's family. It's not a matter of who you live with, but who lives in you. Remember that. Jot that down if you like to take notes. It's not a matter of who you live with, but who lives in you. You see, you were born, all of us were born originally, Physically speaking, we were born. And then, sometime in our life, we have the opportunity that God provides to be born again, spiritually speaking. 
Now, Nicodemus didn't understand this, and we can tell that by what he says in verse uh, 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus' question here, albeit sincere, is also ridiculous, practically. No, you cannot go back into your mother's womb and be born again physically a second time. But Jesus delineates a difference here between being born of water and being born of spirit. There's a lot of confusion over that statement, that verse, because talking about water and the spirit. And many scholars uh, go all sorts of directions with that. But I believe Jesus, when he speaks, he's not the author of confusion. He wants us to understand And I think it's a very practical thing. And I think it's practical because of, he says, born again. So logically, we would first think, okay, well, I was born. Now he's saying be born again. And we would go to the same place Nicodemus did. If he's talking about the physical birth, born of water. Any of us that have had children or been around people who have had children know that there's this thing that happens when women give birth that their water breaks, right? It's a physical thing that happens. And so born of water, born physically, a woman when she gives birth, her water breaks. So Jesus says you must be born of water. And you also must be born of spirit in order to do what? Well, for what purpose? The verse tells us, in order to enter the kingdom of God. These two things have to take place. The first one is logical. You, you have to be born physically to even exist, right? That's, that's elementary. We know that. The second one, you have to be born of the Spirit. That's something different. So what is that? So in order to enter the kingdom of God, we have to be born physically. We have to be born spiritually. The first one, we had no choice in. We had no choice that we were going to be born physically. The second one, we do. God has given us a choice there. In our first birth, we didn't get to pick our parents. Amen? Amen to that? Can I get an amen to that? We didn't get to pick our parents. You heard that, right? Some of us are totally blessed. If your parents are here with you tonight, you're so blessed. But we have the opportunity to respond to God's invitation to our second birth, to be born again. Verse 6 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So Jesus gives... Nicodemus, a couple terms here. Born of the flesh is flesh, that born of water, born physically, and born of the spirit is spirit. Two distinct events, two moments in time, two benchmarks that we should be able to point to, right? Somebody says, wherever you go, fill out any paperwork today, they're going to ask you, well, what's your birth date? You know, so you have to tell them that's when you were born physically. But if you're talking with other Christians, when did you come to the Lord? Some of us could remember the exact hour, the exact date, the circumstances, the time, and everything. But some people can't. They know it's kind of a, you know, maybe it happened during the college years and there was a lot of other things going on in their life. Drugs, alcohol, and all that kind of stuff. Maybe things are a little foggy at that point. But they know that there was a point in time, a benchmark that they could point to to say that 
That's when, that's when I came to the Lord. What's your birth date? When were you born? What's your rebirth date? When were you born again? Nicodemus may not have been totally ignorant regarding this, for he probably knew of the writing of the prophet of Ezekiel. God says to Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 36, 26 through 27, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Remember at the beginning of this teaching, we talked about change. These verses are talking about a change. A change going to take place. A new heart. A new spirit. A new heart. Well, if we look at it physically, we just think, oh, aside from anyone that may have had a heart transplant, we all still have the same heart that we were born with. So a new heart. The text indicates that we are born with a heart of stone, stiff and unruly, inflexible. That's the state of our heart, our first heart. But this verse tells us that it's going to be changed or transformed into a heart of flesh, one that's soft and pliable that can be worked with. Verses also say we're going to get a new spirit. He promises to put His Spirit in us. God's very Spirit, His Holy Spirit, to abide in, to take up residence in us. For what purpose? The verses tell us. To cause us to walk in His ways and to be obedient to His ways. There's a purpose God is giving us His Spirit so that we can accomplish these very things that He's going to have us do. So a new heart, a new spirit. Add them together, what do you got? A new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When we come to Christ, we are a new creation. Not just a forgiven version of the old you, but we are a new person in our new birth. Yes, we're forgiven, but we're not just a forgiven version of our old self. We are a new creation. The old person with the old heart has passed away. And now with a new heart and a new spirit, we're a new creation made in the image of Jesus. Born again in the image of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Jesus is saying, you've already been born in the flesh physically, but God is offering the opportunity to be born again in the Spirit. Jesus is saying in this verse, don't be surprised I said this. Don't be confused by this. This is the truth from God. Understand it. Understand what I am saying. Notice, in this verse it says, you must, you have to be, the only way, you must be born again. There's a qualifier there, isn't there? In order to enter into the kingdom of heaven, we know that we must be born again. It's not a maybe. It's not a chance. You must be. He's very clear on that. Verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The wind blows where it wishes. We hear it. 
but we don't know where it's going or where it comes from necessarily. We can't control the wind, can we? Chris and I are originally from Illinois, so when we take trips back there, we're amazed at how many more uh, wind farms have uh, you know, burst out of the ground. I mean, those things are going up everywhere. Each huge turbines turning in Kansas, creating wind, creating power you know, from the wind, but it's still not controlling the wind, is it? It's just using the wind. It's using it for a purpose. So we can use the wind, we can benefit from the wind, but we can't control the wind. The power and direction of the wind cannot be controlled by the will of the flesh or the will of man. Can't happen. Neither can the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit be controlled by the will of the flesh or the will of man. There are religions, there are churches, religious groups, that at least would give you the impression that they're in control of the Holy Spirit. Right? You've probably seen them. And I don't want to discount the fact that there may be a sensitivity that they have to the Holy Spirit that is being manifested in some way. I always want to be open to that because God's ways are not my ways. So God could be doing something there. But a lot of the times you see it going on and you're like, oh, it's like they're turning this, flipping the switch on and off on the Holy Spirit. You know? And we can't do that. We don't, Jesus is saying that right here. We can't tell it where to go. The Holy Spirit takes his direction from God himself. God working through and directing the Holy Spirit to accomplish the purposes that he has for us. So the Holy Spirit is working through and directing us. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for what? His good pleasure. It's for him. It's for what he wants to do. It's not for our purpose. It's to accomplish God's will. It's to bring glory to God. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? So we're born again. We are given God's Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit living in us to do what He wants, not what we want. This is our new life, our new birth in Him. So Nicodemus in verse 9 says, how can these things be? He just doesn't understand what's going on here. He's confused about how these things can happen, how this is possible. He's trying to reason these things out in his natural mind using his own logic. But Jesus is speaking in the spiritual. You know, there were many things Jesus taught his disciples that they didn't understand either. But... We see later in the book of John, when they received the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit helped them understand. Jesus said to them, I have to go, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I won't leave you as orphans. John 14, 26 tells us, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. We touched on this last week, that when we receive the Holy Spirit, he will be a teacher, a counselor. He will be a helper. He will be one who corrects, one who rebukes. He will do all these things in our lives under the direction of God. And it says, He'll teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. 
that's true. We know that in our own lives. As, as we've learned scriptures, as we've been uh, certain passages of scriptures, certain principles taught to us, and with the Holy Spirit in us and living in us, He will bring to remembrance those things when we need it, when it's of value to us or of value to someone else as we share with others. So it says he'll teach and bring to remembrance all things, things that we need to know, things that he wants us to know according to his perfect will and his perfect timing, teaching us and helping us remember. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So what's Paul saying there? Simply put, he's just saying someone that doesn't know the Lord, that hasn't been born again, that doesn't have relationship with God, doesn't understand spiritual things, doesn't understand the things of the Spirit because they're spiritually discerned. That's what God gives us His Spirit for, to know and to understand what He's doing in our life, what He wants to do in our life, in the lives of others, so that we can be a witness, be a testimony to them. So we are born again. We're given God's Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit living in us to teach, to guide, to counsel, to correct, to rebuke, all for the glory of God, to grow us closer to Him. And Nicodemus asks, how, how can these things be? How can this possibly happen? He doesn't understand because he's looking at it through man's logic, not from the spiritual side, through being led by the Spirit. We can all relate to that. At one point in our lives, before our second birth, before we came to the Lord, we didn't understand those things either. For me, I was 14 years old. I grew up in a Christian home, part of a Christian family. If the church was unlocked, we were there. We actually had keys. Because we as a family, uh, we cleaned the church. I have two older brothers and two younger sisters. And my brothers and I, we would go and clean the church. I can remember being dropped off at the church with my, from my parents for the purpose of going in and, and cleaning the church. They entrusted us to clean the church, and we did that. Now, we had some creative ways of making it fun as well. When you're in the church by yourself, no adult supervision. It's kind of what I feel like when I get here at five every week. <laughs> no adult supervision. Uh, so the church that I grew up in was a cappella. It didn't have instruments in worship. No guitars, no drums, piano, kazoos, nothing. You, you, no instruments. But it did have one microphone on the pulpit. One single microphone 
that we knew how to turn the power on to. One day when we were there cleaning, we got caught by one of the elders who'd stopped by. Uh, we were sharing the microphone, me and my brother, I think singing Born to be Wild by Steppenwolf. It was great because the, the mic was really built for, it wasn't hi-fi, you know, it was lo-fi at best. And so if you really got on it, it would distort. It was, it was great. <laughs> so he caught us uh, singing Born to be Wild in the church. He wasn't happy. We had just defiled the church microphone. <laughs> and then, then he carried out his own version of cleaning the temple. Uh, got an object lesson there from that. But I want you to know I wasn't detoured. I have had a microphone in my hand one way or another ever since. So it didn't deter me in the least. Uh, but I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in the church. And even at that age, if someone were to ask me if I was a Christian, I would have said yes. I, I'm part of a Christian family, Christian home, went to a Christian church. Are you saved? Well, of course I am, yeah. I'm, I mean, we went to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday evening. It's what we did. But there was this one night at home. Mom was watching the Billy Graham crusade on TV. Nobody else in the house really wanted to watch it because that was the night the Beverly Hillbillies was on. And I mean, you know, <laughs> Billy Graham, Uncle Jed, you know. <laughs> uh, but for whatever reason, I sat down long enough to listen. I passed through and something captured my attention and I sat down to listen. And for me, that was something. I didn't sit down much. You see, I was ADD before they knew what to call it. So... I just didn't sit down much, but I began to listen. A lot of what Reverend Graham had to say I'd heard before in church, but then he came to the invitation. And Billy Graham asked something that I had never heard before. He said, do you know for certain that if you were to die tonight, you would be with the Lord in heaven? Do you know for certain that if you were to die tonight, you would be with the Lord in heaven. Do you know for certain? It was like reverb for me. Do you know for certain? And it really, really bothered me. For all that I'd grown up with, all that I'd heard, all that I'd been taught, I had never heard that asked that way before. I went to bed that night nervous and scared. The thought kept going through my mind, what if I died in my sleep? What if I were to die tonight in my sleep? Would I go to hell? Those were the things that I was struggling with. So there's a battle going on. There's a battlefield, which was my heart. And I couldn't escape the fact that I did not know for certain that I would be with God in heaven. I knew Jesus died for our sins. I knew he was the way for us to get to heaven. I'd been to all the Sunday school classes. I'd heard all that. I knew he did it because he loves us. I mean, everybody knows that. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We, we've all sang that. But I had just come to the realization that he did it for me. Now, I don't know, I wish I could recall, but I don't know the exact words I used in my prayer that night. I don't know exactly what I said. I mean, knowing me, I'm sure it was all over the place. That's why I'm glad God was listening, because he could sort all that out. But I do know for certain that it worked. 
God did give me a new heart. He gave me his promised Holy Spirit. And the first thing I wanted to do was to tell my parents. It was 2 a.m. And I grew up in a church that, that taught, if you accepted the Lord, you better get wet pretty quick, okay? They believed that baptism was part of salvation, that you needed to be baptized to be saved. They believed that. So not only do I need to share this with them, that I've just accepted the Lord at 2 a.m. in the morning, but also that I needed to be baptized right away because I grew up in that and I just still felt that there was this chance, well, I'm feeling pretty good right now, but if I went back to sleep, I could still die and if I'm not baptized, yeah, I need to get wet quickly. Now, I don't want to minimize baptism at all. Baptism is important. It really should be our first act of obedience to the Lord after we're saved. It really should. But it doesn't save us. So opening up our heart to the Lord and letting Him take it over, that's, that's what saves us. And I had just done that. I had asked Christ into my heart. I belonged to God, but because of the way I was taught, I saw the need to be baptized immediately, quickly. So I went downstairs, I woke up my parents. Dad, I just prayed, asked Jesus into my heart. What, what, you know, I woke him up in the middle of the night. He woke up and I mean, they were, they were very pleased. I think they were even a little surprised. I think they knew that maybe that had already, already happened in my life. And so I shared with him, Dad, I want to be baptized. All right, we'll get that set up. You know, I'll call uh, one of the elders tomorrow and we'll get that set up for you. No, Dad, I want to be baptized now, tonight. And I so appreciate and respect my dad for acting on that. You know, he could have said, well, listen, son, you know, really, uh, you don't have to do it immediately, but that would have been totally against what I'd been taught, so that wasn't going to happen. He said, we'll do it, we'll do it. So he gets on the phone and he calls an elder who ironically was the one who caught me singing Born to be Wild. Uh, now I'm singing Born a New Child by, by the group Trinity. You may have heard of them, I don't know. But at 2 a.m. we went down together to the local creek and with car headlights shining on the water, my dad and this elder baptized me in, in Spring Creek just outside of Nebo, Illinois. I still remember to this day getting up, coming up out of the water with the brightness of the headlights shining in my eyes. You know, for me that night, I saw the light. I truly saw the light. I was bathed in the light of cheap, dirty headlights. Uh, God's love became real to me. I responded to it. So we're going through the book of John. We're looking at it verse by verse. And this week we find ourselves in a portion of Scripture that talks about being born again. And I, I know that probably most of us here are believers. And so this is kind of a review for us in a lot of ways. It's good to be reminded of these things, right? But I'd been remiss if I didn't deal with the fact that Christ is talking about salvation here to Nicodemus and what's required for that, to be born again. And tonight, do you know for certain that if you were to die tonight that you'd be with the Lord in heaven? Do you know that? Search your heart and ask yourself that question. 
you have an opportunity to respond. Think about this fact that around you are a bunch of people that have gone through that themselves, that want to be here to love you and encourage you because they've experienced it as well. So Jesus said you must be born again. He wants to give you a new heart. He wants to give you His Holy Spirit. He wants to live in, make His home in you. Now we know that Jesus would later die on the cross for Nicodemus and for us. You might have questions. You might still have questions, even though we've looked at this tonight. Jesus is the answer to all of those questions. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe that? Do you believe in him? Do you want that everlasting life? Let's pray.